KCSB FM Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Lisa Osborne. This is the show where you find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. And the big news this week in IV is that um, dozens of homeless residents uh, were moved out of their encampment, which was in Anascoyo Park. The IV Parks and Rec Department wanted to clean up the park. There had been complaints uh, um, by community members who said they were being harassed or they didn't feel safe because of the homeless community that had moved into the park. So on Monday, the park was cleared out. The Those who were living in the park had uh, plenty of notice, maybe about 10 days notice or so, that the park was going to be cleared on that specific day. So um, when it happened on Monday, didn't seem to be any big problems as far as uh, any kind of altercations. A lot of the Residents had moved out. Some of the residents are moving into tiny homes. They call them pallet homes that are set up just across the way from where they had been living in the park. We're going to hear about what's happening with those homes, uh, the tiny homes coming up uh, in a few minutes here on KCSB. We're also going to check in with a homeless advocacy group, Food Not Bombs, uh, has been feeding residents in Isla Vista in the park for years and they have a position on um, whether or not the residents should be uh, allowed to remain in the park. You'll hear from them a little bit later and I also talked with some of the residents who were living in the park. Some of them didn't move very far. They just went uh, across the grass to another Isla Vista park called People's Park but literally it's a, a stone's throw away from where they had been living in Anascoyo Park. In fact Joan is one of the residents that uh, I spoke with on Monday as uh, she and her neighbors were resituating their tents and other living arrangements. Hi, do you guys have a couple minutes to talk to me? I'm with KCSB Radio. We're right over here at the university. All right, what do you want? I just was curious about how you were doing today and uh, what you think about moving from here to here. Was it a big deal? Are you going to go into the pallet house or... You know, what's the plan? Not so much power house. Um, I think it's a good thing because they do need to clean up the park. They did kind of um, destroy it and take advantage of it. But hopefully they'll learn and do better here. What's your name? Uh, Joan. And how long have you lived here? I don't know, a couple months. Has it been good? Yeah. I know a lot of people here I knew before. So are you thinking about moving into the pallet house if you had the opportunity? Oh, no, I had it. I turned it down. How come? Mm, just not for me. Okay. Maybe somebody else would benefit better. Okay. Great. I don't feel at risk. You feel safe out here on the street and in mm-hmm. the park? Yeah, and amongst friends. How long have you lived here? Uh, like a couple months. The Ivy Recreation and Parks District has partnered with Good Samaritan Shelter to come up with a solution to house the park residents once they moved out of Anascoyo Park. Sylvia Barnard with Good Samaritan and Kimberly Kiefer with the Ivy Rex and Parks District spoke with me. Kimberly, could you describe the situation in the park and what was going on there before it was cleared on Monday? From the district's perspective, uh, we started to see an increase in in houseless residents in our park uh, starting in in really in March. And uh, that's when we really started to advocate for support, knowing that our district is not a human services agency and we don't we're not equipped with the staff or expertise or really the budget to address uh, the type of servicing that we were seeing that was needed for um, the community that were living in our parks. 
you know, our goal was to really start to look at other agencies and organizations to try to provide and fill that gap. And we were really fortunate with the support from the county um, in ensuring that we were able to access resources. Have there always been people living in the parks? It's just not this many. You know, Isla Vista has always had a really uh, wonderful balance and harmony with community members that are living in the park. We also have had a lot of advocacy. I know historically the, the Pescadero Lofts was a great accomplishment in terms of housing those that were unhoused. And I think uh, from, from our experience, again, we have been working with different resource providers that allowed us to get to Good Sam, um, which, you know, was such a great opportunity. And, and certainly the av advocacy of Jen Hartman's office to look at an, an opportunity to get a tiny pallet, uh, temporary tiny pallet shelter uh, that could be brought into Isla Vista so that, you know, as we were looking for alternative housing um, and connecting people with resources that we had a place to ask for people to go and to, from the district's perspectives and the values that we have, uh, it was really important to ensure that we, you know, we responded to the community at large and, and offered um, a sense of, of um, a place of, of ownership and a place to feel dignity and, and humanity and in going into the direction of being resourced. Um, and I will say that, you know, from our perspective, again, it, you know, it became more problematic to us when we had more long-term residents who've been living in the park who are complaining that they don't feel safe in, the, in their park that they've been living in. Um, and unfortunately, due to some of the increase of, of health and safety concerns, we've had to take a step back and um, enact our SEMP that was modeled after, uh, you know, Oakland's California policy um, regarding how to respond in encampments specific to Anascoyo, Camino Corto, and Sueño Orchard. Um, and the purpose of our SEMP document is to provide a clear roadmap to ensure, you know, the community is treated with respect um, as, as the district has to, you know, focus on our job, which is the challenges of operating and maintaining its parks as, as we're mandated by state law uh, for everybody. So some of the challenges that I had heard at community meetings were with the residents in the park, the families can't go use the playground at the park. As you mentioned, Kimberly, that some of the longer term houseless residents in Isla Vista were feeling unsafe by some of the newer people that came to town. And also because there were drug overdoses happening in the park, I heard that it was harder, you know, EMTs and law enforcement to reach them to give someone who was ODing Narcan to help them. And a couple of people have died, I believe, in the park. We have, we have unfortunately had one death and one death is too many. Um, we have, on, I believe, even my morning on Thanksgiving was focus on on supporting um basically we were told that you know we had multiple near-death overdoses um, we also had a stabbing in the park and and the violent crime against houseless to each other is is just not okay and i think in this case you know our response is this isn't a this is not a safe environment this is not humane and you know for us to ignore it is um is actually illegal uh we need to you know pay attention to this and you know, with Isla Vista only having four playgrounds and a community that, you know, for the most part, isn't always able to access other parks and open spaces in Goleta and Santa Barbara, I think it's really important that we ensure that our parks, um, and, you know, including those playgrounds are open, that people can come and walk in the park and, and look at the ponds and the ducks and connect to, you know, the businesses and be able to grab a sandwich and go sit on, you know, the park and feel welcomed. And unfortunately, um, you know, despite all of the great efforts of of many resource providers, we weren't able to turn the tide in, in that park. It just became too impacted. Um, so we, the district is really proud that we offered uh, People's Park as an alternative 
I think that again, it's a model that you know other agencies could look towards in terms of ensuring that there's 12 by 12 uh, demarcated spaces um, for people to to go to, um, so that they're not breaking their connection with their resource providers, including Good Sam. So for those who aren't familiar with People's Park, is really right adjacent to Anascoyo Park. So when the residents moved out of Anascoyo, they just walked right across the lawn to to People's Park. So Sylvia, I was talking to some of the residents, and you're going to we'll hear from them a little bit later in the show. Um, that some some were going going into the tiny homes, some chose not to go into the tiny homes. How do you determine who is what are the requirements for moving into the tiny homes? And so there's 20 of them on the um, parking lot of the community center, which is all right in the same area, right at the end of the loop in Isla Vista. So uh, what they did is um, we've been doing outreach for about five weeks now. And so we did it in partnership with CityNet, Home for Good, um, Isla Vista Foot Patrol, Isla Vista Recreation and Park District. Um, and then we also um, were able to meet with um, long-term residents like Father John Hedges to be able to go over a mapping. So they created a mapping of the entire park, who was identified living there, um, if they were medically fragile, how long they had been there, and um, what their situation was. And through that process, they created relationships with the individuals. And collectively, based on all the information, including from public health on those that were facing medical issues, determine who was going to be prioritized on the list. And so that prioritization came based on those that had been, been there longer term, based on medical um, fragility, and based on um, those that were identified um, by the entire group as a whole. And so based on that, we went through prioritization. As of today, we have um, 17 of those pallet shelters are full. There's 20 people there total. Um, they can only, it can hold two people. Each one can hold two people, but only if they're from the same household or the same tent. So um, that's how we got to 20 people with 17. We're anticipating um, filling up the last three today. Um, we do have people that are still um, interested, that are still on the list, and bringing them over. And so that's how the prioritization for those that moved in went. Um, and, you know, it was really a collective effort, and it was in partnership with everybody who was involved. So there are rules there. It's a, it's a fenced area, and mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a pretty early curfew um, what are some of the some of the rules and what is the path? Where do you anticipate if the if the individuals stick with the program and live in the tiny houses? They can live there for up to six months. Maybe some will, will leave sooner. Do you anticipate? And then then where do they go from here? Yeah, so we do have rules um, just like we do in any program that we've run. Um, it's just for safety. We are accountable for the individuals that are with us. And so there's no drugs and alcohol on site. Um, that's for the safety of everybody. There's no weapons allowed on site. There is a curfew, um, just like the rest of California right now, we're under a governor's order. And so we expect our clients to try and respect that as well. Um, we wanted, you know, it's, it's enough that we're housing houseless residents, but also we need to make sure that we're preventing the spread of the disease as well, um, being that we're under a pandemic. Um, so we do have a, an early curfew right now um, because of the governor's order. We do um, only allow people out for essential services um, and appointments. They, you know, it's, it's not safe to be out and about all day long um, in the middle of a pandemic. 
And so we do that for safety. Um, we also have to account for who's there and who's not. So people have to sign out when they leave and they sign back in when they come in. And that's for really safety. So for example, if we have a fire, um, also we've, we have had outbreaks in our other shelters um, with COVID-19. So we have to do tracing. We have to identify who was where and when so that the um, public health department can come in and trace and do all the testing. We have to know where people are in case you know, they could you know, be positive and spreading it. So, um, so we do have rules, um, and you know, when residents move in, they sign those rules. Um, they're, we are a low barrier shelter, so that means that they can be under the influence, they just can't have drugs and alcohol in sight. But if they're under the influence and they are um, a hazard to themselves or someone else, then we will coordinate services for them. So we also are bringing in a number of partner agencies to provide support services. So we will be providing case management, we have behavior wellness providing um, mental health, um, homeless outreach, and then also um, substance abuse services. We actually operate the sobering center there in Santa Barbara, so we can coordinate services to that location. Um, and then we also have um, public health department providing some medical services. Um, AmeriCorps is going to be coming in and providing some VI SPDAT assessments. Um, and then we also have rapid rehousing funding and we have, you know, 30 locations throughout the county and 500 beds under roof. So as we need to um, help individuals get to the next step of their journey towards um, housing, then we can assist with that. For example, there was a, a father with two minor children in the park we've already identified and we moved them out a week and a half ago and they are up in our Santa Maria shelter now just so that they are safe they're in a, um, a family program and um, the kids can be connected to school and education and they can get all the services that they need so um, so that's kind of what our program looks like it's the first time we've ever done pallet shelters the first time we have been involved in encampment clear ups cleanups before for example Lompoc Riverbed Santa Maria Riverbed, but we've never been in a position to create a pop-up shelter as um, part of a solution. And so this is a new effort for us. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Lisa Osborne speaking with Sylvia Bernard with Good Samaritan Shelter and Kimberly Kiefer with Isla Vista Parks and Recreation District is here as well. We're speaking about the um, clearing of Anascoyo Park this week. There were a lot of houseless people living there. They've been moved into People's Park, uh, which is not that far away. So it's a much smaller encampment now. Many are moving into the tiny homes. You were mentioning, uh, Sylvia, that you're encouraging most people to remain on site as much as possible. Can they be out of the tiny homes during the day? Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So they can be out during the day. We provide hot meals. Um, there's an area for them to um, eat in. They can absolutely be out. They need to come out for showers and restrooms. And there's a uh, grass area where they can um, sit on if they want to get some sunshine. Um, we do ask that if they're um, out, that they do have their masks on um, just to protect each other and um, the staff as well, which we all require as well. Um, and they actually are doing really well. I mean, it's amazing that on the first day we moved in, um, the first uh, client we moved in was a female and she was just crying, so grateful that someone had given her this opportunity. There was another individual that moved in, a male, and it was his birthday. And he said it was the first time that anyone had acknowledged his birthday since he was a little boy. And so, you know, it's just, these are, you know, you just think about individuals like this and this is someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's mother, someone's cousin. And, you know, they deserve um, to be able to be safe and warm 
and they were super grateful. Each unit has its own heater, and so they got their own heater, their own plug-in for their phones and the light, um, and a safe place to rest and you know store their things. And just feels like there's just a lot of gratitude um, and an adjustment. You know, living out in a in an encampment is very different than living in more of a little bit of a structured program. And so they've actually adjusted well and are still adjusting. Does Good Sam also help them, your residents find work? And then would they, one of the houseless residents that I spoke with yesterday was hoping to get into a pallet home and then maybe be, be able to get into eventually Section 8 housing. Is that mm -hmm. a pathway? Yeah, so we work really closely with the County Housing Authority of Santa Barbara. And so um, we, we definitely will make sure that everyone is on the list for all the housing opportunities possible. And so that, that is automatic. And then we also um, assist them in um, securing jobs. You know, 60% of our adults in our homeless programs are actually working. And so I think that that's something people need to think about is that, you know, being, making minimum wage and being able to um, live and survive here in Santa Barbara County is impossible. And so, especially if you're working part-time, but we encourage them to be able to um, seek, you know, revenue sources, income, and we help them with that. We also help them with, um, with uh, benefits as well. So mainstream benefits. So we help them um, apply for CalFresh if that is a qualifier or general relief, or um, some of them would qualify for social security disability. And so we can help with all of that. And so our case managers and our staff will assist them with that and also assist them with job applications to be able to um, be employed. So Kimberly, you've got Anascoyo Park cleared. Is the plan to try to rehabilitate it maybe redo the grass and in the meantime there are still maybe i don't know 20 tents in people's park that i saw yesterday yeah wonderful question yeah basically um our focus is to try to keep anascoyo park open so two-thirds of the park is still open and available to the prop to the public as we address some of the the safety concerns around especially the playgrounds um our restroom building has been vandalized um and needs to be addressed uh we have uh, major, major problems with irrigation and also just in general, um, you know, we have a very limited time in which we can do some uh, tree work for safety and ensuring that there's no dead branches, especially with the winter. Hopefully we get some rain and uh, wind coming up here. So really, you know, trying to get in there before the bird nesting season is over in March to, um, to address some of these, these projects. Um, we also have a, a long-term lighting project that was voted on uh, several years ago by um by the boards in the past and so we'd like to see that come into fruition for the community of isla vista um and really there'll be very specific targeted areas in which we will be moving around um you know fencing and things like that so you know the the park is going to evolve it's going to look different in different days um we were very proud of the fact that we were able to put up almost you know i believe somewhere up to 20 to, to 30 12 by 12 demarcated spaces at people's park um, to offer that as an you know, as an option for people, whether or not they um, are going into the pallet a shelter house at this time. Um, and I think our thought there is that you know it's an opportunity for them to continue to be connected to resource providers and offering an alternative space. And our hope is that you know we can continue to support and go a little bit above and beyond, given that we all are in a pandemic to encourage, uh, you know, opportunity for, for Good Sam and the other city uh, resource providers, part of me, county resource providers to be successful in connecting and, and resourcing this community. Um, 
at large. But I think, you know, again, our goal is to really open up the park for, for everybody. It's a downtown park. You know, you should be able to walk through that park safely um, and, and feel confident and safe that you can walk and access that park. So what about the petition that Food Not Bombs started to keep residents in Anascoyo Park? Do you know anything about that? Well, first off, I feel like, you know, the petition, again, states inaccurate information. Um, it doesn't talk about the endless work that um, our district, as well as all of the service providers and agencies that Sylvia spoke to earlier in the conversation, um, have have been working on collectively since May. Um, it doesn't talk about the, you know, daily uh, providing of support and resourcing to community members and how difficult it is um, for those that have experienced living with um, addicts and addiction that, um, you know, how difficult it is to say, I'm going to make the change. I'm going to make something different um, today. And I, and I have the support to do that. And I think from our point of view, um, we were disappointed that it was inaccurate information. It didn't talk about uh, the opportunity to move to People's Park. So that was clearly stated to our IV encampment working group um, on December 11th. Uh, we gave almost 11 full days of notice compared to say 72 hours. We asked for support um, and I was, you know, very pleased that people were trying to, to support us. And I think that, again, I, I understand that not everybody's going to agree with decisions that are made by the district. Um, however, public space means public space, which means all considerations, not just one user group. And, um, and frankly, the behavior, you know, that was happening in the park, um, again, not by all those that were experiencing houselessness, but, um, you know, the few that were making it unsafe for, for the many, um, is something that we as a, as a park district and a steward of the land have to address. And I think our, our thought is that how, you know, we're, we're proud of the fact that we have a humane, humane step in a pathway for people to get resourced who need the support. And my hope is that, you know, I, I love the fact, I mentioned this in the first, first interview, is that people are bringing issues to light in Isla Vista. People are saying, you know, we can do better. And for that, I give, you know, uh, the change.org petition and, and other people's point of view, um, you know, a lot of, of, of validity in terms of saying that, you know, collectively we should be doing better. And, and I do believe that um, in California that, you know, we are a progressive state. We have a lot of resources. There are a lot of people that, um, you know, have income to support the community. And how can we work this, you know, again, collaboratively and collectively, which um, Supervisor Joan Hartman has been really trying to push for us to work together. And I think, um, all of that aside, if you really look at to the root causes, we are, the big picture is we are reaching our goals of getting those that are experiencing houselessness sheltered and, you know, be able to do that in a way that they um, do not connect, you know, don't lose connection to the service providers and also opportunity to store their items if they need to for up to 75 days, which, you know, again, we've, we are dedicated to that type of um, process. Um, we don't, we didn't have any arrests or citations. 95% of the community was grateful, as mentioned before, and I think we're, you know, we're really trying to set the bar in how um, how this can be a model for servicing those uh, and getting people the support that they need. And, and certainly Good Sam has been a critical part of that. So Sylvia, so what is the plan for after these six, the six months? The tidy pallet homes are there for at least six months for these residents to live in. Do you, is it still undetermined right now what'll happen after the six months? Yeah, so the county owns um, the community center building. So the county owns that building and part of the parking lot and the rest of the parking lot is owned by Isla Vista Recreation Park District. So there's a three-way 
um, use agreement. It is only for six months. We plan to leave there by June. And those uh, pallet shelters were purchased with county funds assigned to Good Samaritan Shelter. So we own those pallet shelters. And so the um, 20 shelters will be relocated to a different location. Not quite determined yet on what the use is or where it will be, but we're thinking that this could be a model moving forward for um, other encampments. There's a number of encampments throughout Santa Barbara County, not just in Isla Vista, that really need some attention. So we're not sure um, what the plan is, but I think a lot of people are looking to this as a pilot program. Well, thanks so much for talking with me. Is there anything else you, either of you would like to add? Good Sam is just super grateful for the partnerships and that coming in and all the support. Um, and I just have to put a shout out to Isla Vista, the community, the UCSB students, about half of the staff that we hired are actually from Isla Vista. They are um, students there that are also EMTs. So we're excited to be able to um, provide those employment opportunities to the local community as well. And just super grateful for um, all the outpouring of support and the partnerships. Um, that the, the only way this project is gonna be successful is based on that. Thank you, Sylvia Barnard with Good Samaritan Shelters and Kimberly Kiefer with Isla Vista Parks and Recreation District. I just wanna say thank you again to the community um, at large, uh, certainly to all the working group members um, who've really taken the time to do the work. You have to do the work. Part of uh, my generation at least, at least in work ethic is showing up and making a difference and trying to find solutions. And I think collectively, we have done that, um, and I'm very proud of that work and, and really am excited that people are paying attention and they want to get involved. So please continue to, you know, get involved with what we're up to. Um, we welcome your feedback and support. And uh, again, a very heartfelt thanks to Good Sam for leading the way and in, in, in helping land service provider agencies like ours be successful. Houseless in Isla Vista. That's what we're talking about today on Inside Isla Vista. I'm Lisa Osborne. You know, there are some of the houseless residents who do want to move into these tiny homes. I spoke with Aaron, who is a park resident on Monday. What's your name? Aaron. Do you live here? Yes. And what happened today? Today, they're just finishing uh, moving everybody out of where they were situated in the park over to these uh, signed allotments. Um, basically, this is the overflow from the pallet house. So anybody that didn't get in or there isn't room for uh, came over here from the original spot over in the park. So are you going to get into one of the pallet houses? Um, we'll see. I know I signed up on the list, but uh, it's kind of up in the air at this point. They uh, told me last night to check this morning and then this morning to check this afternoon and then this afternoon basically to sit tight and see what happens so how long have you been living in this area um about five months mm -hmm. where'd you come from uh i'm from santa barbara uh, i had moved away and um i guess around march um came back uh staying out in utah are you comfortable here where you got moved? Because you can still see where you were over there, and now you've moved over here? Right. Um, well, I mean, ideally, you know, a lot of the people here kind of wish we uh, got the hotel vouchers because I know that they had, you know, passed some kind of bill or something. So, like, Ventura County and all the other counties pretty much are putting people in hotels. And uh, they actually came out and they put like, I think 12 people or so got the hotel vouchers. And then that was that. Um, so I don't know. Um, some people kind of feel like this is a, 
a loophole for them to, you know, not get 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 out of putting us in an actual room and putting us in these little tiny cubicles. So. So do you have a plan? Do you know what you would want to do if you either if you wind up in the tiny house or even if you got in the hotel? Um, I mean the biggest uh, um, profit or. Uh, Thing most appealing, I guess, is that you know you get this fast-tracked uh, Section 8 uh, housing. Um, hopefully, you know that's another thing that's not exactly uh, for certain, but um, that's the idea. That um, you know, after six months or whatever, hopefully, you know, we get bumped to the front of the list, and that way, you could actually afford to live in Santa Barbara. What's in your hand? What is that? Oh. Oh, yeah, oh that's is, a helpful information for you. Is, yeah, basic information sheets. So they got, uh, you know, just the different programs for showers around town and then also, uh, like, um, where you can get food at. So it's interesting. Um, they, I actually picked this up from uh, the YMCA because they had some stuff on here that I didn't know about. And, uh, yeah, I mean, besides that, you know, it's it's pretty, pretty cool what they got going on out here. Um, you know, I just have a, I guess, uh, I'm looking forward to the new year, you know, got positive hopes, so. Well, good luck to you. Thanks so much for talking to me, Aaron. Yeah, I appreciate talking to you as well. Thank Take you. good care. Take good care of yourself. Still ahead on Inside Isla Vista, we'll hear from reps from Food Not Bombs, a group that wanted the houseless community to remain in Anascoyo Park. But first, Justin Schroeder is with the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office. He's Isla Vista's community resource deputy. I spoke with him on Monday, and he told me about how the encampment in Anascoyo Park had grown in recent months, as well as uh, some other uh, issues of concern to his office and the community. We don't know exactly how many estimates range from 50 to 60. Some, some go as high as 75. It's my opinion there were about 60 people living in the parks. Uh, when COVID started, we had 12 to 15 people. And so since March, it's just kind of increased uh, monthly, maybe five or 10 people every month to get to this point of 60 or so people. And what are some of the problems that you've uh, encountered through the, the living in the park? Most of our problems kind of center around drug and alcohol issues. And so we've had a lot of drug overdoses recently. Uh, we've deployed Narcan in all those instances. And most of the time we've been able to revive those folks. But uh, unfortunately, a couple people have passed away due to drug overdoses. And then with the drug and alcohol use, that kind of leads to our property crimes. And so the people living in the parks will kind of go and... I don't know if burglarize is the right word, but they go into these open businesses, garages, and, and take bikes and, and personal property and, and keep it in their campsite. So it's a lot of property crime and then drug and alcohol. There are advocates for the houseless people to stay where they were at in Anascoyo Park, but where are the complaints coming from? Our complaints generally come from the business owners, kind of are right along Anascoyo Park there on Pardal Road. They back up to the park and so they hear the, the arguments going on, they, they hear the drug and alcohol use. A lot of them complain about the smells because of the urine and feces that uh, kind of are in the area. And so a lot of those are restaurants and that have outdoor dining and so people don't want to sit outside if they're kind of smelling and hearing those things and so they are claiming it's impacting their business. And then the local residents too. One of the parks here is a children's park with a playground and the local kids aren't able to use it because of all the tents around there and they've uh, claimed to have found used needles and things like that. So they don't want their kids going into the park. And so those residents with kids are complaining. And then we get calls from college students who walk through late at night. They don't feel safe. 
Uh, a couple of them have claimed to have been grabbed by people in the parks or uh, just harassed verbally. And so the complaints are coming from students, families, and business owners. So the plan was to move them just to right next door to a, a, just an, another park, but they're literally walking of just a few feet away, it seems like, from where they've been living in Anascoyo Park. Well, my understanding is the plan was to house them in this tiny home project, and there was no plan to leave them in the parks. However, in, in the last couple weeks during meetings and talks, uh, it, it was realized that there's way more houseless people than there are room for them in the tiny homes. And so this People's Park solution was just kind of thought of over the weekend just to provide a temporary place for them to go um, so they can close the other portion of Anascoyo to do their park rehabilitation. So um, this part of People's Park is just kind of a, a temporary solution, I guess, because folks didn't have anywhere to go. A group of advocates who have been feeding Isla Vista's houseless and food insecure residents for years in local parks didn't want these residents to have to move out of Anascoyo Park. They even filed a petition that generated over 900 signatures. I spoke with Gina Sawaya and Jonathan Dickstein. They're volunteers with Food Not Bombs. And Gina explained more about the group, its background and operations. We've been serving weekly, continuously since 2008. Before that, there were iterations of Food Not Bombs, Isla Vista chapters, but consistently since 2008. Um, we cook out of the Merton Housing Co-op um, located in Isla Vista. That's been our home um, for a long time now, I think since 2012. And up until last year, we were serving one meal per week, and we get the food for that meal from the Galita Farmers Market, as well as from donations, such as from the Isla Vista Food Co-op, um, and we were cooking once a week and just serving like a, a buffet style meal in Little Acorn Park. And then last fall, we added an additional meal. Um, our first meal happens on Sundays, and then we added a second meal on Wednesdays. And once the pandemic started, we started serving five days a week because some, so many of the other meals had stopped serving. So now we're serving Sunday, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, still doing the cooked meals on Sundays and Wednesdays, and then serving like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, fruits and drinks on the other three days of the week. So with, who are your clientele without naming names, but you know, is it a mix of house, the houseless community and residents, uh, anyone who's food, food insecure? Yeah, I would say before the pandemic, we were serving a lot more students and families. And now we're serving a lot more of the houseless community because we're uh, for a while we were going tent to tent with food, like literally, in a, like putting food in a wagon and like distributing it by hand to folks. And now we're back to doing like a stationary service where people come to us. And the reason a stationary service is great is because you can attract, you can advertise where you're going to be and so anyone can come. And our food is free. We don't have any restrictions on who can eat with us. So we, um, yeah, we serve houseless folks and students primarily, although other community members come to our meals as well. So how has the situation with the houselessness community changed since the pandemic began in March? We are, there was already a doubling of the number of houseless uh, residents uh, identified through the point-in-time count, which took place early this year, pre-pandemic, pre-any shutdown. So they went from 33 known houseless uh, community members the year before to 66, I believe. You know, it's weird because they, they did do another point in time count in May or June that showed that there wasn't an increase in houseless residents. But now, you know, folks are talking about this like houselessness issue in Isla Vista as if it's like a new thing. And I really think it's, I think of it 
Sure, there are definitely people moving to Isla Vista for refuge because especially from downtown, we've heard a lot of houseless folks say that it's really difficult to live downtown. You, there's nowhere you can sleep without getting kicked out. Anything that you own, you pretty much have to carry with you because things will get stolen or you're not allowed to store things anywhere. So it's a much more like difficult way of life to live in some other cities. So that's why folks have come to Isla, some folks have come to Isla Vista for that reason. And I think a lot of folks, once it became okay, okay for a few people to live in some of the parks, it's just a lot more present right now. Not to say that there isn't, there is like an issue with eviction. There's an eviction crisis happening in our country, like all over the place. Like the number of houses folks um, is increasing everywhere. This is not unique to our community. But I would say, you know, it's better that people aren't hiding away in the woods. It's better that they're in a place where they can access resources and are close to food and water and electricity and can charge their devices and can get access to services. Um, that's really important to me um, and less so about like the, oh, what an eyesore in our community. So you helped some of the houseless move from... Anascoyo Park to People's Park, which was just kind of across the across a, a lawn on Monday. So what what did you take away from that? How were the residents feeling? Are some of them hopeful about the tiny homes, or how are the how are the pallet homes being received by the houseless community in Ivy? Um, you know, it's definitely a mixed bag. There were a few residents who really were excited about the tiny homes and really wanted to get a spot to move in. I think those those homes filled up. Um, I think they only have a few slots left. So, you know, it was definitely popular among a certain population. Uh, last week, a couple of us, um, including my, Jonathan and myself, went and did a survey of the folks who were still in Anascoyo just to get a sense of what the mood was. And we found that the majority, we, I think we talked to 25 people and only five had gotten spots in the tiny homes. And of the other 20, like maybe seven of them showed interest in moving into the tiny homes if availability were to come come about. But the rest were really hesitant about moving into the tiny homes because they were concerned about some of the restrictions that you have to follow while you're living there, such as a 7 p.m. curfew. You can't have food inside of the little homes. Um, they do provide heat, electricity, uh, multiple meals per day. So that's obviously like those services are very attractive to folks, but they're very small. They're very close together. And some folks just don't want to have to abide by um, such a stringent set of rules just to live day to day. So some folks just wanted to stay where they were most comfortable, which was in the park. Jonathan, do you have anything you want to add? You're a UCSB a graduate student and you're a volunteer with Food Not Bombs. What has been your observations uh, of uh, engaging with the houseless community in Isla Vista? I think there's, there's a couple issues that come to mind. First, I think that the the kind of discussion that goes along about like isn't the aren't the tiny homes good like isn't this a good thing and and there are individuals that are like want to go in them so doesn't that show that that's the way we should be moving um creates a kind of either or situation where it's like where it's like we either have tiny homes and we corral people into an area or we let them do what they want and i think um what would have been much more appropriate in this situation for example is seeing who wanted to go in the tiny homes giving them full knowledge of the restrictions and the and the rules and then letting the park thin out move in that direction and then allow people during our shelter in place period to remain where they wanted to remain where they had already been set up and i think what's happening is that even though uh, the move to people's park was was voluntary I think we can't forget always this kind of like looming threat of, of violence and displacement and arrest and imprisonment that, that kind of is this, you know, this cloud around the houseless folks. Like if they stay, 
they might have all of their things stolen, they might be arrested, they might be assaulted. And so I think when we talk about like, look, they're moving into the tiny homes or look, they're voluntary moving to People's Park. We have to keep in mind that it, it's not like their free choice. Many of them, like, as Gina said, would prefer to stay in Anascoyo Park um, around the people. You know, Some of them are actually uh, keeping to a smaller social group because of the pandemic. And now this has changed things. If you go to People's Park, it's unbelievably close together, the, the, this, the plots. It's kind of strange that during a pandemic, not only are we displacing people, but also putting them much closer together than many of them ever were. And then when we ask for what, to change an irrigation pipe, to make sure that grass grows in one area, to protect a tree. Um, and so that's odd to me. And then it's compounded by the fact that the more and more I speak to undergraduate students, and even graduate students and younger community members, many of them have none of the concerns that the powers that be have. Many of them are concerned about the people's well-being in the parks. They're not worried about these individuals. They understand that we're in a pandemic. They understand that they have a right to housing and a right to stay where they are. Um, and so uh, it seems like the uproar about Anascoyo has only has come kind of from this small select group of people, um, probably of specific demographics as well. And, and I would say it also rides a wave of a bit of fear mongering on their behalf of all of these things that are like going into the park and we need to protect you know, the real citizens of Isla Vista from that. And I think this just creates this us-them dynamic, this, this uh, a culture of fear, a culture of who belongs, who doesn't, um, who should have priority, who doesn't. And it really doesn't take into account um, a lot of the details, the, the, the individual circumstances of every resident of the parks, how they got there, what they're trying to do, what they're dealing with. Um, and I think we see that a lot in, in negative public reaction to the House of Spokes, where it's this like monolith, right? It's the language of, of infestation, of overcoming, of being pests, right? And this is a terrible line of discourse. It's extremely dangerous, but is deployed time and time again, not only against houseless folks, but, but other marginalized communities. So some of the complaints that they received were that kids who live in Isla Vista aren't able to use the playground, Gina. Yeah, there are four playgrounds in Isla Vista and only one of them was being used for encampments at the time. Also, I would just like to add that 95% of Isla Vista residents are in their 20s, like their students. So students make up a very, very, I mean, sorry, kids make up a very, very small percentage of Isla Vista residents, and they still have three other playgrounds that are in perfectly good condition that they can use. And then there were also some, some violence against some of the houseless people from like new people that came to town. So there was, you had the one community of houseless that have been here for a really long time. And then there were some people that apparently were a little more threatening and the, even the houseless community had expressed some concern about them. Yeah, I think we've seen this from the beginning of the pandemic from a lot of local agencies that there's this like, true Isla Vista houseless population and then there are these like others that come in and it's like by nature the houseless community is moving around like there's always people coming in there's always people coming out um just like between you and your neighbors or just like you and people you know in your life there is conflict that arises sometimes and by forcing people to live closer together or forcing them to leave the area and go live in the woods or something you're not you're you're not fixing those problems you're not making it safer you're actually potentially like making those problems worse and then you, now you've also 
for the, pe the people who are going to leave the area, push them into areas where they'll be less likely to get help if they need it. It'll be farther away. So by forcing all those folks to live in a really small corner of People's Park now, you know, I almost wonder if it's intentional to make them uncomfortable so that they leave or so that they um, are forced to live in ways that they don't want to. They're more, they're under like more surveillance. I would like to just chime in one on that. And I, the more you make people movable, the more you make them removable. The more that you get them to minimize, the more that you get them able to, to remove them. Or like Gina said, people don't want to live like that and hence they decide to leave on their own. And so at Food on Bombs, we've been just very, very sensitive to kind of this slow, this like incremental way in which you remove people, but it doesn't come under the pretense of removing them. And, and, and we're just trying to, uh, to make sure that we have all of our community members' interests in, and wishes in mind uh, during that process. So are you in touch with Joan Hartman's office, our county supervisor for Isla Vista, to talk about your ideas? Because I know that you guys have been around for a long time. You're supporting this community. Are your ideas and insights being listened to? Um, that's a tough question, just because I don't, we're, we're really new at this whole advocacy role. Like before we were, before the pandemic, we were just serving food. Like we were talking to people, socializing with community members. Um, and now we've become this like, advocate for the houseless community and because we work with them so closely and because we've earned their trust over time. Um, up until last week at the IVCN meeting, I didn't even know that Joan Hartman's office slash the county knew about the park closure. Um, they've been working with RPD um, on in a county encampment task force and I knew that they had, you know, they're obviously working together, but I didn't know that they were involved in this particular park closure at all or were in support of it. I was a little disappointed by that. But in terms of our ideas like for the county, um, we've mostly been focusing our efforts on RPD because they have direct control over the parks and are making like the more immediate decisions about where folks need to go. Um, so I kind of feel like we're just putting out fires right now, but in the future, you know, I'm open to voicing our concerns to the county, but you know, we're, we're stressed really thin right now with the issues at hand too. If I could just jump in, Lisa, would that be okay? Yeah, Jer Jeremy Rourke is a friend of KCSB and, and you're with Food Not Bombs as well. Yeah. So I am a psychologist and um, have been kind of volunteering with different organizations, mostly Food Not Bombs, um, but other organizations as well in the in Isla Vista for a while. And um, uh, the, the lens I guess I see this through is also one of, a, of mental health issues like there's there's definitely it's definitely economic issues where more and more as gina said more and more people are becoming houseless um we have a lot of economic issues in this country that we're not dealing effectively with but i think people that have been houseless for any amount of time um it's a it's a challenging it's a challenging life it's uh there's a there's a lot of mental health issues can sometimes be contributing factors to 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 houselessness and or they can you know develop as part of as part of being houseless and having to deal with uh, lack of resources lack of opportunities and to me this move really contributes rather than help helped alleviate really contributed to more mental health issues it's it's kind of like a message without uh, communication and without coming to the table to talk about things and and figuring things out it's kind of a message of 
you know, you don't matter and we're just going to dictate what happens to you. Uh, we're going to move you around and your opinions don't matter. Um, and so it's a, it's a very detrimental message to send. And, um, you know, there, what we need, I would say in many communities throughout the United States, probably I'd say all communities throughout the United States is more, is more resources for people to access to, to work out, work through some of the mental health issues, do, you know, job training or whatever. And, um, um, get people um, into permanent housing. Yes, that's great. But there is also, I think Jonathan also alluded or said it directly, there's always going to be an element of people, an, uh, a percentage of people who just want to be out and free and whatever. Like, and, and I think people should have that right. At the end of the day, they are all very different in their thoughts, attitudes, desires, and goals and um, need to be understood and um, they're human beings these these are they are just like us like when you look at the pandemic and look at the number of people who have been losing their jobs um, sure we have like uh, eviction freezes now but you know at the end of whatever if we ever come to an end of 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 coronavirus people have to start repaying their mortgage or they will become homeless too like this, we, we need to, I think, stand up for the people that can't necessarily or, or aren't, I shouldn't say can't, but um, aren't being allowed in many cases, aren't being listened to. Not, they're not being allowed to advocate for themselves uh, because they're, people aren't host, hosting conversations. Thank you for bringing that up because uh, it seems like there, that is the challenge for, I mean, imagine living on the streets, you would, that would impact your mental health, but is allowing someone to live in the park ongoing for the, you know, for the rest of their life, is that supporting them? I think the people at Good, Good Samaritan, they think that they're helping these individuals by getting them, you know, into a place that's a little more safe than living in a tent in the park and helping with some job skills and helping them to get, um, you know, a, a step up to where they will be able to pay rent and find some kind of a living situation. Also, I mean, being in Santa Barbara, there are a lot of people paycheck to paycheck who can relate to, you know, the realities of potentially becoming homeless, because if it were only weren't for the resources that some of us others have, you know, it could just so easily be us as well. Yeah, I think that it's um, mostly in this case kind of about the question of is this, you know, forced, forced changes in their lives versus um, encouraged changes and offering of services. My experience with as a as a psychologist practicing in uh, Santa Barbara County is I've heard a lot of stories from people on campus, from people in the community. Uh, from people within Santa Barbara County Mental Health Services, that there just aren't enough services, that they're overwhelmed. And um, so when you offer services to someone else, but then say, well, you know, I can, I can, you can come back in six weeks. It's, that's not really the kind of service that people need. It's a great thing to offer. And when you offer a program or you offer a service, it looks good on paper, but um, it really matters uh, how those programs get implemented. On that question, just to answer it too, really quickly, I think 
um, obviously more resources and more shelters and more affordable housing are huge parts of this equation. Like, yes, yes, more and more. But um, autonomy also needs to be a part of the conversation too and priorities. Like, is having um, a park more important than people having a place to, to live and shelter in a safe way and in a, in a dignified way? Like, to me, I think having folks that can um, keep themselves safe in a reasonable shelter is more important. A park is like a, it's, it's extra, it's on top of that. And I'm not advocating that all parks become houseless encampments. I'm not advocating that we, you know, strip public lands away from people to recreate on. I'm just saying that like basic needs need, need to be met first. And if folks, at least for the worst part of the pandemic in the middle of winter, right before the holidays, want to make the choice to stay in a public park, um, I think that they should be allowed to do that. I think their autonomy should be respected instead of saying, well, we gave you this option and now you're not taking it and that reflects poorly on you and judging them for that. Um, and, you know, in terms of coordinating with the county or ideas for the county, yes, like a long-term affordable campsite is much needed in Santa Barbara County and all over the county. I think that's a great idea and it's something that the houseless folks have expressed strong interest in as well. Um, it's something I'll certainly be advocating for moving forward. Now that's an interesting idea, right? The long-term affordable campsite. And for those who are living in their, in their cars, I know there are a few places where they can go in a parking lot where there's a security guard at night. So there is some security for those who are in their cars because there are a lot of people, not just the, those who are living in, in Anascoyo Park, but a, there are a lot of people who are challenged with um, housing and the pandemic is just making it worse. And who knows what it's going to look like once the rent restrictions, you know, rent freezes, you know, are over because it's, we are really are in for some serious times. So let's talk about, before I let you go, all of you from Food Not Bombs, you had put a petition on change.org to keep the residents in Anascoyo Park. You got over 900 signatures on that. Didn't happen. The park's still closed, but there are still, you know, they're, they're still living very close, many of the residents. Um, what's your next step and where do you hope to go with this? So we're going to continue serving meals. Um, we're going to continue supporting folks who live in People's Park and advocating on their behalf. I think it's going to be really interesting to see now that the designated spots in People's Parks are full and the tiny homes are full, what happens for the folks that come now? Where do they, are they going to be allowed to stay? What happens when folks choose to leave the tiny homes? What happens at the end of the six-month program? I mean, these are the next things that we're kind of you know, really anxious about and already starting to have conversations about the best ways that we can support folks as they continue to move around and continue to just try to survive day to day. But in the meantime, we'll be at the parks serving food five days a week for the foreseeable future. Um, we're never going to stop doing that. Right now we serve like behind Embarcadero Hall, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 530. Um, we often have hot food and peanut butter and jellies. So please come by if you want to eat with us. We'd love to have anyone. This is crucial for news outlets and, and people in general is just to actually talk to individual people in the parks and learn about their thoughts, how they ended up there, what they're trying to do. I mean, if you see in recent comments, um, these rather repugnant comments on the story from community members who talk about like these homeless people as this like, just this, this just like class of individuals and extremely negative comments and like Jeremy said is completely insensitive to histories of mental illness the mental illness that's caused by living on this on the street um, and having you know to work under so many uh, pressures 
um, and, and threats of violence that it's just like sit down and actually talk to people. Um, I think last year we got, you know, one story out that really highlighted individual residents. And anyway, I'm just saying in general, whether it's KCSB or any news outlet, um, it's important to talk to us. It's important to talk to RPD or Good Samaritan, but like really important is to actually sit down and, you know, get people's names and listen to their story. And then it's like, wow, actually maybe we really do have to treat this situation with more nuance than we tend to think about it. But as is always the case, it's easy to make broad sweeping decisions when you don't have to know the names or the faces of the people who it, it affects. Um, so hopefully we can help uh, move in the opposite direction. Yeah, I had a different take after I left the park. I mean, these are all really engaging, intelligent people. What are you studying, Jonathan? I'm a PhD student in religious studies. Gina Sawaya, Jonathan Dickstein, and Jeremy Rourke from Food Not Bombs. Thanks for talking with us today here on Inside Isla Vista. Thank you so much for your interest in this topic. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista on 91.9 FM KCSB. Each of the guests I spoke with uh, tonight for this story had a lot to say and are, and are really concerned uh, about supporting the houseless community in, in the different ways that they're advocating. You can listen to an extended version of this episode on our SoundCloud. Just go to, K, uh, go to soundcloud.com slash KCSB FM. I'm Lisa Osborne. It's been great being with you. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. This is 91.9 FM KCSB.